And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Oh, this one is definitely reality because uh, it contains the secret formula for invisibility. I hope you were able to find it and decipher it. It is science and therefore it has to be real. It's definitely real. He explained it really well. So Yeah, that might be the part that I skimmed over. <laughs> oh, I love it. That does not surprise me. Yeah. This was but wait science a minute. fiction. I, I have a 45-minute essay written yeah. on how this works. And I feel like we should go into it. Let me explain the nature of light and the eye. And, the, and I was like, oh my gosh, he's really doing this? And I was like... Flip, 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 flip. Oh, there we are. Okay. <laughs> oh, too fun. Too fun. <clears throat> the Invisible Man yes. by H.G. Wells. Yeah, originally serialized in a magazine in 1897. Okay. Yeah. One of my favorites. I yeah, love it. That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, you know, I have those iconic images of the Universal movie. From the so either thirties or forties, yeah, but 30s. that's where it's like you know in a smoking jacket with a bandage wrapped around your face yeah. and the glass, smoking dark a cigarette maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now is that was that Peter Lorre? Nineteen thirty-three. Oh, the Invisible Man, starring Claude Rains. Yeah. Yes. Oh. <laughs> and the glasses were cool. I mean, yeah, those would be stylish today. Well, the thing, too, is I remember we watched this some years ago, and I was stunned at the special effects. I couldn't believe they could do those things in 1930. Mm. It was so good. Yeah. So yeah. anybody who doesn't want to read this book, which is pretty short, go watch <laughs> the movie or do both. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. movie is really well done. For sure. Yes. Yeah, and it's, you know, like those images – are in my head, you know, whether you've seen the movie or not, it seems like those, Im- that image is somehow crept in somewhere. Um, because, you know, everybody seems to know it, but, um, <laughs> they really do. but yeah, but it's, it, you know, when you're reading this book from 1897, it's really cinematic how it's described and you can see exactly, you, you know, exactly what he's talking about and exactly what it looks like. And, I felt um, the same way, yeah. and it's not just because we've got those images in our culture. I mean, mm-hmm. there are a couple of scenes where he was describing them, and I suddenly got really freaked out. Mm-hmm. I'll talk about them later. Oh, that's interesting. But, yeah. yeah, but where I suddenly, he described it so well, and it's stuff you've seen in the movies many times. So this had to be influential on people who were making early horror movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, there was actually six movies listed here. Um, as hmm. uh, the Invisible Man film series. So um, we should do a series of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> but it's got the Invisible Man, the Invisible Man Returns, the Invisible Woman, Invisible Agent, <laughs> the Invisible Man's Revenge, and of course the cherry on top of the Sunday. <laughs> Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man. Oh, well, that's the one we need to talk that's about That's it, yeah. <laughs> I think I remember when they met Frankenstein yes, and Dracula. That was so 
Yeah. Also classic. Classic, classic show. That was a good movie. <laughs> that was a genuinely good movie. Yeah. yeah. Well, of <laughs> some sort, the, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a classic. So good. Yeah, I know you had the werewolf running around too. Oh, that's right. Yep. My goodness, yes. Yeah. We were on a real universal kick for a little while, so we saw a bunch <laughs> of those. What a shame. I, I know this is just a minor aside, but what a shame. You know, they redid The Invisible Man in uh, recently, 2020? 2020, maybe? Yeah. Boo. And, yeah, boo. But the thing is, they were they were revving up, you know, The Mummy with Tom Cruise, which was also a swing and a miss. Um, they, they were getting ready to do a series of, of these universal monster movies that were all going to be tied together. And it was a cool idea, very poorly executed. Mm -hmm. And the invisible man was part of that. So it was the invisible man and the mummy both were going to be part of this. And, um, it just completely fell apart. It's like they were trying to mimic Marvel or something. Um, they really didn't do something original with it, but I, for one, would have loved to see some really cool remakes of these films. And But instead, they were like, you know, and Jekyll and Jekyll <laughs> is the mastermind. He's like, he's going to be just like Professor X and, or oh, the brother. Iron Man. Or, you know, they, they just uh, really just fumbled that ball. So I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do, but they had planned a, a bunch of them and stopped. And I honestly think they weren't paying attention because you know, for the Mummy, you already had Brendan Fraser mm-hmm. being. Uh, was it the Mummy Returns? Yeah, there was two. He did two, right? The Mummy yeah. and the Mummy Returns, I think. Uh, well, there's the Mummy Tomb of the Something Something. Okay, so it's just the Mummy. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Once you had the mummy with Brendan Fraser, done. <laughs> I don't care what studio did it. We're yeah. finished. Move on. That was great. Mm-hmm. So, but However, it wasn't. It wasn't man. serious, and um, you know, uh, you didn't have Tom Cruise sprinting at anything in that Brendan Fraser movie. <laughs> there was no sprinting by Tom Cruise. That's, that's why we have Mission Impossible. That's right. Out. That's true. Yeah. That's true. And there's going to be trains. There's going to be stuff. So, yeah, things he can jump off of and through and around and all the things, and he can run real fast. Yeah, Um, yeah. So, The Invisible Man, though. Right. So, The Invisible Man, you know, so you said it was horrifying to you, you know, and and I think it generally is considered a horror novel. Um, Mm -hmm. I never felt horrified. I was always fascinated, and the main character makes extremely poor decisions. He's not... Somebody who you should go to for advice of any type. <laughs> he's, he's a very angry little man. He is, yeah. Even even before he turned invisible, but that's the thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I guess everybody knows the main premise, which is that it's a cold and snowy evening, hmm. and outside the coach and horses in slash tavern shows up somebody who's, you know, got his hat pulled down, his dark glasses on, his collars pulled up, and he's got some bandages or something maybe. And he wants a room, and he's going into um, the sitting room of the suite, I guess, that they put him in. And at some point, 
the landlady discovers that he's got a whole lot of bandages everywhere. And she, oh, the poor gentleman must have been in a terrible accident. But he's also got a very bad temper. Yeah, he's just um, anyway, not a friendly guy. No, he's... Mm. <laughs> at one point, the people in the town are all getting together talking about their various theories about what's wrong with him. And because he's got like this shiny pink nose, but he's, you know, but it looks like maybe he's part of him looks very dark. You can't see like where his ear should be or something, that kind of thing. And um, so maybe he's piebald. He's like two sets of colors, like a horse might be. So they're, but they're doing all this thing. Like the one thing they could agree on was everybody disliked him. Yeah, He was terrible. But anyway, so what happens is eventually um, he, in a fit of peak, He's, he's his own worst enemy in many cases. He gets yeah. mad and he'll go, I'll show you. And he just starts stripping bandages off and he's invisible. Mm. And um, so from there, he is also, uh, he doesn't really have a moral center. And so, what we would call a good moral center anyway. And so <laughs> yeah. he's doing things he like, I'm out of money. Did. I'll just yeah. run some do some burglaries here. And they start right. putting two and two together and wanting to catch him because he's also doing violent attacks on people. And um, then we follow him in his path of trying to escape and get control of his situation again. It's not usually told from his point of view. It's told from like the landlady's point of view, uh, this tramp on the side of the road, Mr. Marvel, who encounters the invisible man, various people. And at one point, he stops and tells his backstory to a scientist named Kemp. <laughs> but um, other than that, it's it really is told in a very cinematic way, changing points of view, well described. And we all kind of, by now, our culture has absorbed this concept. But it must have been really fantastic to people reading it in the 1890s. Yeah, must have been. Mm-hmm. Even now, I mean, it, it just makes you, um, I mean, it has that wonder. It's like, what if I mm-hmm. was like this, you know? Um, but it just has that. And and the idea, well, just, you know, ghosts and everything, you know, it's definitely going to be horrifying to anybody you're around. Um, you know, if you don't mm-hmm. want them to see you, especially, you know, it's like, is there somebody in this room? Are we being watched? Um you know, all those types of things. And, you know, uh, he says in the book, I can kill whoever I want, you know, yes. uh, he makes that clear, you know, I can just stand where they can't see me and I can, you know, no matter what they're armed with, I can take them out. <clears throat> and, uh, right. you know, so yeah, there's this incredible feeling of, uh, of danger, you know, when you're around him and especially somebody with the temper he has and just the temperament oh, yeah. he has, you know, it's just like, I don't know what this guy's going to do at any time. And now I can't see him, you know, and then that is a horrifying thought. I know. Well, and yeah, he's only got a couple things that give him away. For instance, he's got a cold. So if you hear somebody <laughs> coughing or sniffing <laughs> and there's no one there, watch out, get your back <laughs> to the wall. And, um, he also, he later talks about the handicaps he experiences. And I guess we're way in spoiler territory now because that's pretty much the story. Yeah, yeah. But at at that point, you know, you're thinking, like you're saying, he seems all powerful to the people who are first encountering him. He can rob them. He can attack them. They can't catch him. And and at one point, they do manage to catch him, but he easily gets away. Mm-hmm. And um, 
But then later when he's talking to Kemp, he's saying, you don't know how awful it is. It's wintertime. I mean, he's a terrible planner. <laughs> it's wintertime. He can't wear any clothes. Yeah. So he's freezing. If he eats until the food's assimilated, you can see the food in his stomach. <laughs> so he has to be in hiding and he has to be able to get the food. This is when you realize uh, you only think of the monstrous things that he could do. But he also is kind of encountering, is that um, making a deal with the devil kind of an idea, kind I think? Kind of an idea, of, yeah. Right, where it's like these things all seem like a great idea until the reality of the situation hits you. Here's the result of what you asked for. Right, it's not, you know, it could be like a, a genie in a bottle kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, all those stories where you wish for something. And then when you get it, it you <laughs> yeah. realize that there are consequences. Right. You know, so common those stories are, but that's like this. It's like focusing all your energy on this thing that you have somehow convinced yourself is the thing. And then you attain it. And it is not what you thought it was. You know, so it's something that we do in life all the time. In miniature yeah. ways. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hopefully smaller ways, but yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> yes. Yeah, but uh but yeah. Um I, I wanted to mention too, uh before we continue, his name is Griffin. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting, and I'm trying to make some of this, but I actually don't quite know. But a, a griffin is a creature with a lion's body and a bird's head. And in the in the Bible, I mean it's it's there's a, a griffin like thing mentioned in Revelation, but the the griffin is sort of a symbol of Christ's two natures, um, with the it? bird being heavenly and the lion being worldly. I did um, not know that. Yeah, just in some stories or, or things. Mm-hmm. I looked that up. In, like in, medieval in, stories yeah, or exactly, something. exactly. Exactly. So, you know, but I was wondering, you know, boy, are there any mythological stories where a griffin can become invisible or something like that? And I didn't get that deep into it. But it's interesting choice of name. From H.G. Mm-hmm. Wells, who, who was aware of these kinds of things. Oh, yes. Even though he was an atheist, I believe. But A uh, very clever gentleman, though. Yeah. And a good storyteller. Right. It would have been a choice that he made. But um, it's well, definitely a man with two natures, I guess. Um, well, yeah. yeah. And you make me think this isn't necessarily associated with it. Wait, I just lost my, uh, my little... I had this on the Kindle, so... Mm-hmm. I lost my uh, my highlights. Suddenly I hit the wrong thing. Um, <laughs> but one of the things I liked, you know, of course, he's such a good writer, as we've already commented, and, and really good at laying it out for you visually. But in terms of the two natures, thinking of the piebald thing they were talking about, mm. you know, the dark and light, you know, it's maybe he's pink and brown or whatever, that kind of thing. So he's kind of mushed together. Um, but also when... The landlady first gets a glimpse of him. He, she's come into the um, sitting room. There's just the glow of the fire. He's, he's got his face down and her eyes were kind of dazzled. It says, but for a second, it seemed to her that the man she looked at had an enormous mouth wide open. A vast and incredible mouth that swallowed the whole of the lower portion of his face. Hmm. And it's because he had his bandages off because he'd been eating and he hadn't put his muffler back on again to cover it up. But I was looking at that thinking, this is 
in a sense of two natures, he's monstrous. Mm. It's like he's got a huge mouth and he's going to swallow up everything. Yeah, yeah. Is the way that struck me. Right. And of course, that is kind of what his nature is really like. He's going to just chew up and spit out anything that he doesn't like, essentially. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's cool. I love that, you know, because he is monstrous. Again, in temperament. Oh, he's just and awful. And, yeah, he's, he's not, a, not a good person at all. No, he's um, terrible. But yeah, one one thing that was interesting to me in this is that the reaction of pretty much everybody was negative towards this guy. Mm-hmm. Very scared, you know, and stuff like that. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't a character in there who was like, I want to become invisible myself, you know. Right. Um, until I guess the very end, I guess the guy who's trying to figure out what his diaries say might oh, be Mr. looked Marvel. at. Yeah, they might. He might be looked at as maybe. Maybe perhaps someday, <laughs> if he got it figured out, might want to try it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think I felt like he just was doing that because he thought he could make money from it. Sure could. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why he would make money from it. I mean, I guess well, I think military. You could, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I can make you yeah. invisible. Well, that's yeah. a win. Yeah. There's a novel idea right there. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that's been done. <laughs> Why hasn't it? Yeah. But that's a good call as to what his motive might be. Mm-hmm. But he was the only one in there that, um, you know, I just feel like if this was today, um, there would be all kinds of people that would be like, I want to be invisible and give me that power, you know? And then well, uh, you'd have your invisible man deniers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. I'm sorry. I'm well, jumping off on a tangent there, but it just they makes were in me the laugh. Book too, right? Yeah. Until that's true. enough they news were. stories, there yes. was invisible man. And there was eye. actually a little bit of commentary about whether you can believe the news or not. Um, yeah. How fascinating was that? You know. Yeah. And um, an invisible man. You know, I guess you could see that as an as a metaphor. I guess for for truth or untruth. Um, mm. yeah, but I mean, mm. that's stretching a little bit, but it's, it's an interesting thing that he was like, yeah, I only read this news or, you know, I was, I, I just thought it was very interesting from 1897. Um, right. and I know he's in England, but yeah, right around then was when we had, um, Teddy Roosevelt and, uh, Taft going into Wilson. Um, okay. but yeah, but I mean, that's in the United States, so I'm not sure what things were like in England, but. But, um, but yeah, just interesting. Well, and I think a lot of what Wells was showing us was the reaction of the average person. Hmm. He wasn't really worried until you got to maybe Kemp, the scientist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You didn't really hit anybody who was an intellectual equal of the Invisible Man or mm-hmm. even functioning on a scientific I mean, you had the townspeople who were both um, humorous in a way, like I said, when they're going, well, maybe he's this, maybe he's that. And it's like everybody agreed. And there was the person who said, oh, he's probably just a harmless lunatic. And they went, and that seemed to be everything that needed to be said. Yeah. It's like, I like it. He's just loony. Mm-hmm. And, and except for the fact that he actually wasn't harmless, they were really right. But so that's that's your small country um, country town type person. Yeah. And then there's the tramp who's hardly better than that. There's, as he's telling his story to camp, 
you're seeing all the other people in the city he's encountered as he's developing the invisibility drug and everything and then in the department store and having to cope with everything. There's nobody who really is his equal intellectually mm-hmm. until Kemp. Right. So H.G. Wells isn't interested in who else might want to do this or, you know, what does it mean for us? It's just how is this guy going to survive and what is he doing to everyone? And Mm -hmm. I was reading something that was saying, oh, gosh, let me um, look really quick. There was a um, maybe was it a Greek philosopher who was talking about um, what would happen if you had um, the ability to become invisible. Hmm. And this was evidently well-known and philosophers would argue about it, you know, because it talks about what's your human nature if no one can see what you're doing. Yeah, it's like a removal of... um, Societal boundaries. Societal boundaries or, yeah, in any kind of limitations. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, when you're alone, are you still moral when you're by yourself? (laughs) Do you cheat when you play solitaire by yourself? There you go. That kind of thing. And so so H.G. Wells kind of took this idea. I mean, he didn't ever say that, but everybody kind of looked at it and went, oh, yeah, he took it and went, well, here's what would happen. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. um, in this scenario with this guy who's horrible. I mean, I'd forgotten the things he did when he was talking about – He's like, well, I just needed to do it. Yeah. So I took the money, stole the money from my father. Well, it wasn't his money, but he killed himself. But I had the (laughs) money I needed. Yeah. And Kemp's like, what? And then then there are the people in the boarding house after he's turned. Well, and then there's what he does to the cat. That poor Mm. hungry cat that he's feeding and turning invisible. The cat's still out there with nobody able to see it. Right. Only its uh, eyes. Yeah. Couldn't couldn't finish it off. (laughs) Right. But yeah. And then the people in the boarding house who are freaking out because they don't understand and neither does he what it would be like. This is when he's learning what it would be like. And so he goes, well, so I just set the house on fire. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah. What are you were doing? people in it? Yeah. Well, maybe they got out. I don't know. <laughs> you're just like, oh, you're just totally amoral. What yeah, a monster. Yeah. So he, so, but I mean, he started off so, that way. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like an answer to that question. That philosophical Mm-mm. question, because he seemed to be horrible before all this. Right. I mean, his whole motive in doing it in the first place um, and his, you know, singular focus, you know, and almost greedy scrambling towards, you know, becoming invisible. Um, Ruling the world. Despite all that, right. At the end, he's like, no, I can rule the world. So I'm like, how are you going to do that? Yeah, how are you going to rule the you world? You can't even get dinner. Yeah. <laughs> How funny. Yeah, but that's perfectly put. He can't even get dinner. So he's like just deluded himself the entire time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nobody's going to accept him as ruler of the world. No. And he, I guess he was thinking he would have the power. He could terrorize people. Yeah. He could just live like a king or live how he wanted, take what he wanted. But he's clearly not thinking straight by then anyway. And he, at one point, he said he was taking. It couldn't have been cyanide, but it was something like that. There was something he was taking, and the and Camp's thinking, oh, that causes psychosis. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's interesting on Kemp, <clears throat> I highlighted a thing. It just says, Kemp, in spite of your arguments this morning, it's quite a possible thing. You know, he's saying invisibility. I've made a discovery. I meant to keep it to myself, so he was never going to give it to anybody. But he's just, I can't. I must have a partner. And you, we can do such things, but tomorrow. Now, Kemp, I feel as though I must sleep or perish. So he's like realizing now he can't do it himself. All this, right. <laughs> whatever it is that he wants to do. He's like, I need somebody who will help me. Yeah. And um, Kemp is who he picked. You know, and it's interesting, too, the guy's, um, the tramp's name is Mr. Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, that was an interesting choice, too. But it was like he picked Marvel really first, right? And Marvel just didn't really come through for him um, yeah, the I way he, he wanted. Yeah, he was the person who was available, and he needed shoes. Yeah. So he took his shoes because Marvel had taken his shoes off while he was sitting by the side of the road or something like that. Yeah. And then he said, okay, because he's figured out he needs an actual regular person mm-hmm. to be able to, like, you know, do things for him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, <clears throat> there was a thing I, I highlighted a little bit later. It's just a single sentence. It says, in all my great moments, I've been alone. And uh, mm. that's a quote from Griffin. And he was explaining to Kemp, you know, this is in while he was talking about all these details and stuff. But in all my great moments, I have been alone. That is really wild. <laughs> um, you know, it's the opposite of community, right? We talk about community a lot, but it's just like, right. you know, I think in most people's lives, it's not that. It's the opposite of that. And, um, you know, to, to desire invisibility just to be alone. It's like the ultimate of being alone now. Now you're really alone. Right. <laughs> you're not only alone, but now you're different. Um, because that makes you- him, gives him an advantage, I suppose, in his mind. But, of course, as we discussed, and you especially many times have had mm. a good example of, you know, it's like you got to get outside your own head. Yeah. You have to be able to hear other people's responses and bounce things off people. Right. Or you don't have a good view of what's going on. And he has, he really is a monomaniac on the, the mm. whole invisibility thing. And he's such a dum-dum, he didn't do a non-invisibility thing. <laughs> right. If you're experimenting <laughs> on the cat, you know, go mm. ahead and non-invisible it. How about right. <laughs> that? Bring it back to visibility. Yeah, make it visible, right. Before you take it yourself. Yeah. <sighs> what a, he's yeah. certainly rash. Right. And I like, um, too, how he said, you know, again, he's explaining to Kemp, and he says, anyone, I tell you, would have flung himself upon that research. You know, <laughs> anybody would have done this. Uh, no, no, not like you did it, you know. Yeah. But yet he's he's telling himself that. And then he says, you know, after three years of secrecy and exasperation, I found that to complete it was impossible. Impossible. <laughs> and then Kemp <laughs> says, how? And the visible man, <laughs> I'm thinking, well, the atoms are blah, blah, blah. But instead he says money. Yeah. You know, and you're like, oh, wow. You know, it was like money. So he robbed his dad. Yeah. Yeah. And doesn't even care that Mm -hmm. he ruined his father. No. Nope. Messed up that man's life, you know? (laughs) It's just like, yeah, I mean, my goodness. And there's just no remorse whatsoever, you know, because, oh, this thing is bigger. You know, this is, 
you know, in his head, he's just not thinking right. And it's well, like, and this maybe, is just so much more important than my dad, my own dad. So maybe the reason that H.G. Wells, if we're positing that he's kind of answering the question of the philosopher, and maybe he's not. Maybe mm-hmm. this is just, you know, they were all talking about all kinds of stuff, but he was always interested in looking at what human nature is like. Mm-hmm. He used his stories to show us things about ourselves. Um, he had a more grim view than me, but still. Mm-hmm. Um, he, though, if we think about it, chose some or created a character who is this amoral, this selfish, this um fixed on one thing because he wants to rule everybody. And so I guess what he's saying is that that's the kind of person who would develop this sort of mm, research. Okay. He's mm-hmm. a good person wouldn't have any reason to want to make themselves invisible. Ah, there you go. That's that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mhm. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Because he thinks he can do whatever he wants. You know, he flings off his uh, bandages and horrifies the landlady. But very soon, he's maybe in the kitchen or something, and he's throwing bread and cheese down on the counter. And it says, luckily, you know, somebody picked up the knife just before he got to it. (laughs) Because he was going to start stabbing people. Mm. Because he clearly is very proud. I mean, obviously, we're a little crazy. But he thinks he's better than everybody. Yeah. This is what gives him the right to do all the things necessary for his research and gives him the idea that he needs the research in the first place. And, you know, Kemp wouldn't have done that. <laughs> Kemp is the opposite of him. Yeah, and, and he's talking to Kemp throughout this thing, and Kemp is just listening. But then when Kemp interjects, it's not in agreement. He's just, yes. you know, it's pretty clear to us that Kemp is not like, yeah, he did the right thing there. No, not even close. <laughs> yeah. He's just Kemp horrified only, by the whole thing. Right. Yeah. He only backs off of it when he sees the Invisible Man's going to be, oh, are you against me too? He's like, no, I just, uh, <laughs> you misunderstood my tone. I was uh, just saying this as an observation. And then he's writing a secret note to the head of po- chief of police. Here, yeah. get this down the road quick. You know. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. I have... Uh, Knocked him on the head, exclaimed Kemp. <laughs> yes, yeah, stunned him as he was going downstairs. Hit him from behind with a stool that stood on the landing. He went downstairs <laughs> like a bag of old boots. But I say, the common conventions of humanity are very well for common people. But the point was, Kemp, that I had to get out of that house in disguise without his seeing me. I couldn't think of any other way of doing it. And then I gagged him with a Louis Courtois vest. And tied him up in a sheet. Tied him up in a sheet? <laughs> Made a sort of bag of it, you know? <clears throat> it was just like that. I mean, it's just. I loved your dramatic reading. This oh, is great. <laughs> I really think this you is, need to record the whole book like this. this. Is I nice would love it. melodrama. Yeah. Robbing? Confound it. <laughs> Too good. <laughs> oh, but it's well, fun. But no, I love your point, though. Like, yeah. That if, you know, if Kemp had discovered invisibility, um, he's not doing the same things. It, it wasn't invisibility that turned Griffin into what he was. It was like he was already that. Yeah. And it could have amplified it or it could have put a spotlight on it, you know, because now he had the power to not be as, uh, 
I guess, constricted as he was with society. But yes. he already had those tendencies. But yeah, that's really interesting. And and Kemp, if he had been the one who discovered invisibility, it would have been a different story. You know, because it's like, you know, the guy's invisible, but he could have just went to this person that he was renting the house from at the beginning and said, hey, listen, I'm invisible. I know it's amazing, but uh, you could really help me out. And I can, I'm kind <laughs> of in this predicament, you know, and, and why wouldn't she have reacted positively if he had simply put that right on the table you know what i mean and said well, yeah. yeah you know it, i'll, I'll keep this wrapped on me so you always know where i am right there <laughs> would have been the horror and everything of yeah. the whole thing but once that was over hopefully he could have found someone who would yeah. have been sympathetic yeah and he would have gone around setting houses on fire and tying people up in bags and right right you know hi hit him on the head with a stool and then he went down the stairs <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah. great to see, you know, kind of thing. Right, yeah. right. Stealing all your money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if Camp had developed the invisibility idea, which he would have used it for something completely different, who knows what? Who knows what, right. Um, or he would have looked at that and gone, hmm, I'm not going to spend three years and have no money left at the end of it <laughs> to even finish. I'll, I'll get halfway through and maybe something else will occur to me or whatever. He would have been... Um, a different kind of experimenter, I think. Yeah. But anyway, I was just thinking, yeah, this is H.G. Wells picks this sort of personality deliberately uh, to see what happens when he turns invisible. Now, I don't, I really, that's the only reason I can think of that he did that is yeah. this is yeah. the kind of person who would develop that sort of thing. It's kind of like uh, these days, you know, we have the superhero movies. So, you know, the question's always put, you know, what superpower would you want? Well, no one ever picks turning invisible. (laughs) I mean, not for those reasons, I guess, because luckily in those movies, your clothes turn invisible with you and then turn visible. So it's okay. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know. Yeah, but there's often an invisible person in the the troupe of uh, superheroes. Mm -hmm. You know, the League of uh, Extraordinary Gentlemen. There you go. Yeah. Was the invisible man on the Yeah, if I remember right, he was. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was thinking of the uh, bit where, let me see, when I said I was truly worried or upset. Yeah, please. Uh The thing is, is there's two spots where somebody runs to a, a bar or a tavern. One is Mr. Marvel, the tramp, and the other one is Kemp when he's getting away and I really thought it was Kemp, but it looks like, um, it was Marvel. He went in there and, um, he runs away. He's way ahead of him as far as he could tell, because of course you can't tell. And the invisible man's like, if you try to get away from me, I'm going to flat out kill you. And Marvel's already been attacked several times for not doing things just the way the invisible man wanted. And so he runs and goes down to a bar hmm. and or an inn. And um, he's like, oh, oh, let me in. Let me in. Lock me in. He's after me. He said he'd kill me and he will. And it says, you're safe, said the man with the black beard. And um, the door shut. What's it all about? And so he gets in, and he says, he'll kill me. He's got a knife or something, for God's sake. And so they come back here behind the bar, and he goes, don't open the door. Don't open the door. Where shall I hide? And he goes, this is the invisible man, then, says the man with the black beard, one hand behind him. 
Guess it's about time we saw him. And then the window of the inn was suddenly smashed in. There was screaming and running to and fro in the street. The policeman who had been standing on the settee looking out, staring out, craning to see who was at the door. He got down with raised eyebrows. It's that, he said. The barman stood in front of the bar parlor door, which was now locked on Mr. Marvel, stared at the smashed window and came round to the two other men. Everything was suddenly quiet. I wish I had my truncheon, said the policeman, going irresolutely to the door. Once we open, in he comes. There's no stopping him. So they're saying, draw the bolts, you know, don't let anyone mm. in. And then they say, the, suddenly someone looks around and goes, are all the doors of the house shut? Asked mm. Marvel. He's going round, prowling round. He's artful as the devil. Good Lord, said the burly barman. There's the back. Just watch them doors, I say. He looked about him helplessly. The bar parlor door slammed, and they heard the key turn. There's the yard door and the private door. The yard door! He rushed out of the bar. In a minute, he reappeared with a carving knife in his hand. The yard door was open, he said, and his fat underlip dropped. He may be in the house now, said the first cabman. He's not in the kitchen, said the barman. There's two women there, and I've stabbed every inch of it with this little beef slicer. <laughs> and they don't think he's come in. They haven't noticed so they've locked it, but of course he's gotten in. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's that thing. Yeah. It was the thing when they go, have we locked all the doors? Oh, man. And they suddenly That's, go, yeah. oh, no. And, start, <laughs> and I was like, this is like a movie where it's like, no, don't go downstairs and see where the lights are out. Oh, man. Please. Yeah, there's always that, yeah. Or the, the scene where they realize that they're being phoned from inside the house. From inside the house. <laughs> <laughs> so we all know the conventions, but see, this is a convention that I think Wells was inventing. Maybe so, yeah. Because how do you, you, you can say, if this kind of guy comes in, tell me, or mm. lock the doors. But maybe he's inside, you can't tell. Right. Because he's invisible. Maybe he's here already, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's oh, no, go lock the doors. Well, now maybe you've devil. locked him in. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, it's the same with a ghost, isn't it? Yeah. Right. If you run, you can't hide in the closet from a ghost. It's always the ghost with you, but I think you're right. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it's something. Yeah, Yeah. that is some scary stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for some reason reading that, I really could just see it like it was a movie, and I was getting really worried. Mm. I was like, oh, no, he's here. Oh, no, you just opened the door where Marvel is. Don't you know he can get in? And then he did, of course. Yeah, um, yeah. They go in, Marvel's all crumpled up in there. Yeah. Alive, but crumpled up. <laughs> Poor Marvel. But yeah, but he, he ends up with all the, the journals. But some the of end. them have been erased. and Yeah, there's there's pages that are blank. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. can't read any of the inscriptions, and he doesn't know math. So Right, it's all, yeah, very difficult to decipher. <laughs> yes. It's in, yes. Some of it's in Greek, some of it's in Latin. Some of it is uh, just ciphered. Even the stuff mm-hmm. you can read, it would take a lot. lot it's just going to take a lot to get someone to figure it out. Well, Full of secrets, he says. Wonderful secrets. Yes. Yep. But he had money because had he? Oh, he had the Invisible Man's money that he'd stolen. I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's because they said he was set up with money. Yeah. But um, one of the things I was thinking that I found really refreshing about this book and of course part of it is because it's a much older book but part of it is the times that we live in Mm. i loved that he wasn't a sympathetic villain Mm. 
I loved when he's telling his backstory. He's you're not ever feeling sorry for him. It's not that he his father beat him, and he you know whatever, and he had all these hardships and all these things. So of course, mm. well you know you can understand why he'd kind of be angry at everybody. Now that's how the stories are often told these days. You're never allowed to just have a villain in a story. It seems yeah, like right. And I myself am like, I get that. I get real life is like that. But sometimes there's just bad people. <laughs> They've given yeah. up. Yep. They're too influenced by evil. They themselves are too broken. I don't mind locking them up and keeping them alive and giving them plenty of chances to, you know, come back, come to their senses, let God get to them, all the things. But we don't need them out running around with us, and we don't need to go around feeling so sorry for them as is represented in a lot of the movies and stories that we get today. Yeah. That's just my opinion. Right. I liked being able to, to say, oh, this guy's bad from the beginning. Yeah, very good. Yep, good point. Yep. Hmm. I love it. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I feel pretty good about that. You know, he, he just, he was, he was not as ever sympathetic. He was never mm-hmm. somebody that you were rooting for. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, it's definitely okay. You know, I've read books with unlikable main characters that bothered me. It was mm-hmm. like, this is just no fun at all to read about. <laughs> and I think that that's really what it is. It's not the fact that the person is not, per, or the author is not presenting a person that's, unrealistic it's just you know why why am i putting myself through this you know what i mean it's just like what is the point (laughs) of this exactly yeah um you know because yeah so but here i never felt that way i I was just like jesus guy you know jesus guy but it it was never it never turned me off to the point where i wanted to stop i was curious to the end you know what what is going on here yeah so Yeah, yeah exactly for sure but yeah, it's a really nice point. There's, there's sometimes that this unsympathetic character is presented to us as uh, something to consider, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's how I felt about it. Well, yeah. So, for instance, in Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, mm-hmm. it's one person. We're given a clear contrast, and so you can feel sorry for. Um, Dr. Jekyll. Mm-hmm. Mr. Hyde, there's no feeling sorry for him because he's pure evil. But <laughs> um, but you're given, you're able to consider both sides of him. Yeah. You know, Dracula, yeah. no. But mm. even Dracula, there's that moment of redemption at the very end. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah. the Invisible Man's more along those classic uh, monster lines like that. Yeah, and Dracula's not likable. Or is nope. he? No. <laughs> I mean, I say, I say, or is he? Because uh, there have been fifty-seven hundred novels yeah. about that he is. <laughs> right, and I think that's that's what I was complaining about. I I didn't uh-huh. think of it in terms of a example like that, but yeah. Now you've got the shiny, sparkly Twilight Draculas. You've mm-hmm. got uh, vampires. Well, you've Angel. Yeah. On TV, you know, yeah. that are sympathetic. Although, to be fair, when he was being in full vampire mode, he was not nice. Mm-hmm. All those flashbacks, you did not want him around. He was no. awful. <laughs> so they understood. And that was that was kind of the genius of Angel is your punishment. Says, mm. was it a gypsy or somebody goes, I'm going to give you a human soul. 
Yeah. No, now I feel guilty. Now I have to try to be good. Now all the things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. because otherwise you're just evil. And um, mm-hmm. that's something that's sorely lacking in a lot of the stories or movies or things that we get today because everybody's so busy flipping things on their head. Yeah. You know, kind of like Wicked started it or Shrek started it or I like Shrek. But, mm-hmm. you know, when the the troll or ogre or whatever he is is this the hero and the, the everybody else is on the outside they're deliberately flipping the a traditional fairy tale right yeah that's yeah. that jonathan pajot in the symbol this symbolic world yeah. the symbolic mm-hmm. world yeah talks yeah. about that kind of thing a lot right right and really shows you how um now a lot of kids don't even know a traditional fairy tale because all that's being told are the ironic ones, which are really being told for grown-ups. Mm. But they're kids' stories now. Yeah, and what are they being replaced with? Right. Just yeah. a lot of cynicism, no hope, no real hero. And so I'm kind of like, yes, when my grandson, who's quite small right now, I'm like, when he's ready for real stories, he's going to get the real stories. <laughs> he's going to get the real Cinderella and the real whatever. I mean, cool. it doesn't have to be Grimm's fairy tales. But, you know, yeah. traditional telling. Mm-hmm. So that he understands, here's here's where the center is and everything. Yeah. Right. And this story is very much like that. It's a traditional good versus evil. He's only looking at it from the human point of view, but it's still good versus evil. The Invisible Man is a enemy to society mm. and humanity and the people. Yeah. Very good. Yep, I like it. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. And so it's I'm, important. I'm, to, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I was, no, please go ahead and finish your thought. I was going to say it's important for us to be able to recognize that. And by jiggering with all the stories, that sure, that's fun. I liked it for a while, but then you get tired of it because it's just cynicism. And then, as I was saying before, you, you do lose your own moral center. It's yeah. too easy to be relativistic about it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. That's one of the things that, you know, he's doing with his podcast and also mm-hmm. like a website. I can't recall what the name of it is, but I, I really enjoy what he's doing, you know. But he's he's like trying to resurrect this stuff. Yeah, we need to put links to it. And in yeah, fact, I discovered that he's going to do a series of eight traditional fairy stories. Yeah. In uh, he's done a Kickstarter for that, I guess. Yeah, and he's doing the art, and it's going to be mm-hmm. Christian symbolism in the art. Mm-hmm. Yep. Love it. It looks expensive, but amazing. Yeah. Yeah, should be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. However, that was a connection I didn't expect, but that's but that's the thing with just, you know, I think that's why I enjoyed this story on that level. I hadn't really connected it till we were talking, but mm-hmm. with Jonathan Bajot, but it's that whole idea of, yeah, you know where you stand. Mm, right. Very good. Yep. So I've got the very last paragraph of this, which is really ambiguous. Um, I think into oh. what Marvel's motive is going to be. Um, oh, up the epilogue. Okay. Yeah. Do you mind if I read that? No, go ahead. Yeah. So, so it says, uh, uh, let's see. I'll start here. He, 
produces three volumes bound in brown leather and places them solemnly in the middle of the table. The covers are weather-worn and tinged with an algal green, for once they sojourned in a ditch and some of the pages had been washed blank by dirty water. The landlord sits down in an armchair, fills a long clay pipe slowly, gloating over the books the while. Then he pulls one towards him and opens it and begins to study it, turning over the leaves backwards and forwards. His brows are knit and his lips move painfully. Hex, little two up in the air, cross and a fiddle-dee-dee, Lord, what one he was for intellect. Presently, he relaxes and leans back and blinks through the smoke across the room at things invisible to other eyes. Full of secrets, he says. Wonderful secrets. Once I get the haul of them, Lord, I wouldn't do what he did. I'd just... Well, he pulls at his pipe. So he lapses into a dream, the undying wonderful dream of his life, and though Kemp has fished unceasingly, no human being save the landlord knows these books are there. With a subtle secret of invisibility and a dozen other strange secrets written therein, and none other will know of them until he dies. So I don't know. What do you make of that? I think he's... He's got some thoughts. <laughs> yeah, but he can't do any. I mean, I know he can't do any of it, but he's like, he's trying. He's trying, and and why is he trying? I don't know. I know. I think it it's not. It's ambiguous. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that was ambiguous is what was he dreaming of? Yeah. Exactly. It's like and he's going. Oh, I wouldn't do I what he did. I just. Yeah. Well, you know, so what does he mean by that? I wouldn't do what he did. It's like right. if I was invisible, I wouldn't do what he did. Or is he right. saying I wouldn't become invisible, you know? Oh, no. I was thinking yeah. if, I be- if I could solve this and become invisible, right? I wouldn't do what he did. That's exactly but what I how would I do. think. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I just think that he is going to use it just to sit around and dream with. And this mm-hmm. is the idea of when people will say to each other, if you could have any superpower, what would you have? Which I always mm. surprises me because I never think of it in those terms. Yeah, right. But, you know, yeah. of course, I would fly. <laughs> yeah, it sure would be nice. Yeah. Flying would make life very easy. <laughs> well, it would be really, I think it would just be fun. Yeah, it would. I, don't, I wasn't really thinking in terms of going anywhere, though I guess that is what you would do. But I was just thinking, you fly around, you fly through a cloud, you look down at the earth, you do loop-de-loops, you mm-hmm. go up to the top of a tree and sit. You, I mean, I don't know. I guess I was just going to have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> now we know. Now we yeah. know. I'm no invisible man. <laughs> I'm not going to rule the world. Oh heck yeah! Yeah. And invisibility, you know, it's like it just lets you be secret. It lets you be alone. It lets you yeah. be separate. It lets you be um, in a place you shouldn't be. Um, you know, that's what invisibility does, right? That is so true. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it is like a a removal of punishing eyes or judgment. Um, things like that are what come to my mind. It's like yeah. you're removing yourself from those things and doing yeah. things. Yep. But he wasn't even worrying about punishing eyes and judgment. He just wanted to do his own thing. Yeah. 
and everybody leave him alone so he can rule the world. <laughs> right. <laughs> Again, that came out at the end, and I was like, that's what I you want to do? I want to rule the world. <laughs> I was dumbfounded by the whole idea. He never said anything about how he was going to do it because, of course, he's not really an ideas man. He doesn't Mm. have the big picture. (laughs) But, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. But but it is a really good book. I hadn't read it in so long. and Yeah, it had been a while for me, too, and I'm glad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it had been a while for me, too, but uh, I'm really glad you liked it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a fun read. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking a little bit about, you know, it's interesting to read this in the heat of the summer. (laughs) (laughs) Because our character was freezing cold for a lot of it. (laughs) So maybe it lowered our temperature a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. It's, you know, we we were thinking about walking through the snow barefoot. Uh, That's how you leave footprints, of course. (laughs) Yeah. You have to have it snowing. I love it. Yes. Well, good. Well, good. Well, thanks for reading it. Oh, no. I'm glad you picked it. Good, good. Well, next up for us Mm -hmm. is a summer blockbuster. (gasps) And I can't remember what year it's from. It's kind of been going by year here. But it is Raiders of the Lost Ark. (laughs) Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. I saw this when I was living in Houston before I ever met my husband. So, yes. I still remember seeing it, though. Talk about a fun movie. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and so yeah. we can talk about fun movies as well as that, mm. too. I mean, because, you know, talk about a great time at the movies. I mean, you had Star Wars mm. and this and yeah. all those great movies. So, so good. good choice. Too fun. Good summer choice. All right, good. Now, the challenge is, what will we talk about? Yes. I'm sure yeah. we will find something. <gasps> we will. Yes. <laughs> we, we somehow manage. <laughs> <laughs> somehow. Somehow. We eke it out every time. (laughs) Thanks be to God. I don't know if anyone else is saying thanks be to God, but I know that I am. So they quit listening. Thank you, God. Oh I love it. I love it. (laughs) All right. Oh well. Well, Anyway, we had a good time. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. (laughs) Yes, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, in a couple weeks. Take care. Yeah. Okay, (laughs) bye-bye.